Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We're George and James. This is Getting Pretentious with the 1975's A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships. Well, I think do that. Yeah. But deliver it more. (laughs) <laughs> with more with more, with more, with more vigor yeah, into the camera I have is vigor <laughs> hello hello how are you not too bad it's a Monday it's a Monday we're here what have you been listening to this week, George? That's a good question. Um, I have listened to Bombay Bicycle Club's new single a little bit. And they did some live videos on Vivo, which were all right. You know when somebody does a live video and it just feels like there was minimal effort. They yeah. just turned up and they just were like, yep, we've set up our instruments. Now we'll just, we'll just hit record. Right. <laughs> it's a bit like that. So there was no sort of visual... Yeah, but I've been having adverts for it all over the place. So I'm a bit like... What's the new single like? Um, it's kind of old Bombay Bicycle Club, I right. suppose you could say. Um, it's just quite refreshing, because I've got two singles out now. One's the title of the album. I like the first one quite a bit. The second one's a bit... I think it's a grower. Right. It's an album track. It's definitely Fine. an album track. Um, anything you've been listening to? Um, I've been a bit obsessed with the Michael Kiwanuka record. Kiwanuka. <sighs> yeah. Self-titled. I'm glad you said it. I mean, it may be something that we cover on this podcast. I think it point. should be. I gave it a listen after you said it last week. Uh, I didn't get through all of it, just because I was... I got to work. It's quite a long record yeah. as well. There's some good, like, seven-minute long tracks mm. on it. It's one of those albums that I wouldn't necessarily... I wouldn't go listen to random tracks. No. But the it's album. definitely a very well-put-together, like, well-crafted album. Yeah. Um, there aren't many tracks that, like, stand out to me sort of on their own. Um there's the second track, which I think he maybe had out as a single, Rolling, which is quite, just got a good sort of bass and drum groove, which kind of works on its own as a, as a single. But yeah, most of the tracks sort of flow into each other, so it feels very much, uh, you, yeah, you listen to it as a whole album. It'd be great to get on vinyl and just, just play it all the way through. I was thinking about it as a vinyl album. I did find there's like a nice uh, special edition pink vinyl. But apparently it's already on everyone's sort of all the major sort of album of the year. It's it's, it's up there for contention for album of the year already, apparently. So Yeah. But then to be fair, like, I'm not sure what else I've heard this year that I've really sort of um, been that massive on in terms of albums from this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously 1975, they're releasing a new album this year. That will be a contender, I imagine. So is that coming out this year or is that coming out next year? Well, it's coming out next year. I'm thinking just like in the... I'm thinking in Mercury Prize time frames Right, now, yes. Where it's like sure. their year starts probably around September, I, I yeah. think. It's roughly around that time. Which, 1975, they've been smart with that. Yeah. They've been like, we'll release one in this September to September and then one just after the next. So yeah. they can take a go and maybe hopefully beat Dave in the next one. So I think a good place to start is the is the fact that um, George is probably a lot more into 1975 <laughs> than I am. To a certain historically. extent. Historically, yeah. Um, you've... Well, the very uh, would you call yourself a fan? Um, I was a fan of the first album in the same way that, like, if Chocolate came on the radio, I could probably sing you all the, the, the lyrics. Right. But... I didn't like the second album. I probably only listened to it all the way through, like, twice. Okay. And for me, that's not being a fan. Like, 
for the Mercury Prize albums, I've made sure to listen to all of them three times through just to make sure that I didn't like them or did like them. So listening to an album twice for me is like, gave it a go, got bored. Yeah. Um, but this layers, I'm more of a fan of Matt Healy okay. than I am of the 1975. Who I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's someone. <laughs> he is someone <laughs> that is noteworthy. So this was the first time for me listening to a 1975 record all the way through. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've heard tracks before. I really liked the new single, People. I liked that. People's fantastic. Um, it had the very sort of Queens of the Stone Age drum beat going on. Have you watched any of the reaction videos of Metalheads? No. Listening to People, like... There's a lot of metalheads who are like praising Matt's vocal performance. Really? Like it's like he screams through the whole thing, but yeah. like very controlled screaming. Like it's almost quite a subtle way of flexing his vocal muscles. Just like look at me, I can. And the performance they did of it, um, I actually think I prefer the live version of it they did. I think it was at Reading. Then I actually like the. Um, then I actually like the studio version. There was something that was so good about his performance at Reading doing that song. God, I missed them at Reading. Um, that just sold that song to me and actually sort of opened me up a little bit to them as, a, as an outfit because I've never really been into them. And like I said, I've heard some tracks here and there, but the Brit Awards performance of Sincerity <laughs> is Scary. Yeah. I think just left quite a hard indelible mark for me to sort of remove where like just he's wearing a Pikachu hat yeah, with a backpack walking on a treadmill. Yeah. And that just... It it was like visually the actual layout as a live performance, it was really well put together. Sure. But... But it was... If you're not under, yeah, it's hard because obviously it's a hint. The whole sincerity is scary song is a, it's quite a, um, it's an observation on how unaware we are of ourselves to a certain extent, and like, just constantly taking life as a joke. Yeah. And if you're not aware of that, which I wasn't at the time when seeing that performance either, it was like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, this is daft. I don't get this. Well, Which I, is. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing with this, uh, listening to this album has sort of opened my mind a little bit towards 1975 in terms of I, I sort of get what he's doing now. Yeah. To a certain extent. It would almost be like trying to watch an episode in The Office and somebody telling you it's a serious documentary. Like, yes. You would be like, what the heck? These people shouldn't exist in the world. Yeah, I think a good I think a good thing to compare it to is um for any comedy fans out there is is like Stuart Lee. Yeah. Um and I've said this on my other podcast before about how for ages I didn't get Stuart Lee and I didn't get what he was doing. And yeah. so when you don't understand what Stuart Lee's doing and how he's subverting things and how he is he's playing a character on stage, it's hard to get him and it's hard to find him funny and then suddenly it clicked with me what he was doing yeah and i think that's the similar thing here with 1975 is that i did i just you know i saw them as this you know they'd have songs that were quite like bubblegum poppy sort of singles but on this album when they do that when they go there it makes sense to me as part of the overall well, yeah, they are almost, they're, they're lining up with the, a lot of the other songs. The bubblegum pop is the kind of build up to the punchline. So when you're hearing something like, I think it's Be My Mistake, it's a very self-absorbed love song. Um, and he said that, he said that in one of, I think it's the XFM interview. Yeah. He talks about how it's one of the only songs on the album where he's literally talking about himself and then it goes into Sincerity is Scary, which is talking about how we don't, we are so self-absorbed. Yeah. So it's almost Sincerity is Scary becomes a punchline 
of an overall joke that the album has been putting across with these yeah. romantic, poppy ideas. Uh, we were talking about earlier, we were saying it, it's hard to tell. So when we were watching an interview with him and we were saying it's hard to tell when Matt Healy is taking the piss or when yeah. he's actually being sincere and, and honest. Would you say he also counts as a, or how does Stuart Lee put it, um, a metropolitan elite? No, centre-left metropolitan elite. Would you say Matt Healy fits into that cat- category as well? I mean, sure. I mean, there's, there is, there is, yeah. I mean, you watch Matt Healy, and he's, he's, he's quite a well-spoken chap. He, he's grown up in showbiz in some way, to a certain extent. To a certain yeah. extent, you know, both his parents being television people. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I think to a certain extent, he is that kind of person that, um. And I accept that I, I, I'm probably I probably fit into this category as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he's someone of a person of um, like perceived privilege who has been able to just sort of do his own thing for yeah. most of his life and just do his art. Um, I mean, that's something that's interesting about him as well is actually seeing that point of view, and yet he's still somebody who got into drugs. An addiction, yeah, and has gone to rehab, and you kind of sometimes I forget that when I'm listening to the album that he has had some pretty tough times yeah. when it comes to his addictions. And he stuff. doesn't seem sort of where I was going with that is that he doesn't seem you know while he looks like this kind of person immediately at face value, there is that there's that Stuart Lee sort of attitude of of wanting to take it all apart at the same time. You know, he's part of this sort of sort of bubble. Yeah. But he wants to sort of... Look out. Look out and sort of... Or maybe even look in, in a way, and sort of tear it apart from the inside. He's, like, deconstructing quite a lot. Oh, 100%, yeah. And, um, and you can see him working when he talks. You can see him doing that all the time, like, working his brain. Um, sort of deconstructing everything he's saying as well. That and, and so he never comes across particularly as like comfortable. Um, mm. I, I said he seems quite troubled, which obviously, like we said, he's had like a lot of troubles. Yeah. But I think I think that's what makes him such a good. I don't want to say role model because that's I don't know. I have a weird stigma behind that. Just as a bit role model, uh, yeah. But that's a why different don't thing. why don't you like role model? It, it makes them, it feels like you're being put on a pedestal because, like, at the end of the day, he's no different or better than sure. a lot of people. Sure. I, I think my problem with role models is that uh, people, people, people don't ever want to, don't ask to be a role model, right? You just, Generally, like, you earn it. You earn it. People give you that title. And then people are very quick to then criticise you. <laughs> when they don't feel like you've acted in an appropriate way for a role model. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's like handing someone a grenade, pretty much. It's like you could go off at any time. Like You might stop being off. It might never go off. You might just yeah. have this forever and it will be great and people will look up to you because, I mean, you've got a grenade in your hand people are going to do what you say. But it could go off and blow up in your face at any point. I think it's like, and and we'll get onto it in a... In another episode, because in our next episode, we're talking about 1989 by Taylor Swift. Yes. And it's a similar conversation with Taylor Swift, I think. Yeah. In that way. In the way that she sort of, she was America's sweetheart. People called her America's sweetheart for a while. And then it, the media turned on her. Yeah. um, But that's for another time. That's for the next episode. But yeah, with Matt Healy, it's the way he talks... And the way he processes interviews, he never tries to rush it and he never tries to be insulting or force his opinions. And you can kind of see that with the way he kind of stops and thinks. And he will be, he's not necessarily particular with his wordings, but he makes sure to make it obvious that he's thinking. He's kind of like, oh, I don't know this. He says, I don't know, or do you understand me a lot in his interviews? Right. 
And it's like, I don't think he wants people to... It's not that he doesn't want people to see him as pretentious, but I think he's aware that he's quite out there. And I think being aware of that allows people to access him easier. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably why most of his interviews are like 40 minutes to an hour long as well. Because it's him sat there being like, well, I could be this thinking, but I could also be thinking that way. But I think I think this way, but maybe I'll think that way. And I swear that is pretty much all of his interviews. He basically comes up with four answers to a question. Yeah, <laughs> it's very hard to cut Matt Healy down into a soundbite. No, I even noticed it on, you know how on Spotify you get the genius behind the lyric stuff come yes, up? Yeah. Even in that, when it's quoting him, it's still got lots of kind of sentence, dot, dot, dot. But that's up for interpretation and there's just lots of that, like, kind of... They've just... There's dot, dot, dots everywhere just because it's, like, obviously Matt Healy probably sat there for about a minute staring into space, thinking of what the best thing to say was. So the fact that even in text, they still kind of mm. make him come across as that contemplative artist. Should we, should we dig into the album a bit more? I mean... Didn't learn this until this morning, but yeah, that the first track of the first three albums, I don't know if they're doing it with the next one, but the first three all have the same lyrics as the intro. So the 1975 first track, same lyrics, but they'll change the music to fit the kind of style of the rest of the album. So it's the way he worded it in an interview was it's like knocking on your mate's door when you haven't seen them for a while and they open the door and you're the same person but you've maybe got a slightly different haircut and your fashion's changed. Like, you're the same person but it's like, oh, you've changed There's a, a familiarity bit. to it but yeah, it's still we're new. going off in this direction this time. Yeah. And it's like, oh, where are we going to go this time? It's different but familiar, which it is with the 1975. It's always a little bit, each album is always a little bit different. But it is, Matt Healy's got a very recognisable voice yeah. when it comes to each album. And I mean, that's a cool way to start. Like, that's, as he would put it, it's very meta. I think it's, as well, it's, you say every album's slightly different, but also similar. And it, it feels like that with the with the tracks as well on the album. Yeah. we jump from genre to genre. Completely. Quite frequently. Because we go for the first two tracks, Give Yourself a Try, it's got that sort of early noughties infused sort of guitar going, like constantly working through the song. There's like a sort of driving yeah. electronic drum beat. I almost feel like, I mean, obviously slightly more polished, but that could have been a blur track from back in the day, potentially. Yeah, I think it's very Brit. It's very it's, Britpop. Yeah. Um, but also I think slightly... I think there's actually a lot of this album, especially that track that stands out to me and the very last track that we compared to Coldplay earlier. Yeah, I always want to die sometimes. There's also a bit of sort of that American alternative rock scene going on. I think especially with Give Yourself a Try. Yeah. That guitar sound is very American. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that guitar sound, I, I very much... I don't think I've ever fallen in love with it, but I've definitely fallen out of love with it many times when listening to it. Yeah. It grates. Like, it's, it is a challenge. Like, they obviously didn't put that guitar part in thinking, oh, people will love hearing this guitar sound for a solid three minutes. Then, like, they can't afford this is going to be a pleasurable part. So what if they if they're not th- if they're thinking that then so what what is the purpose of it do you think I think it is meant to be a kind of almost like an attention seeking like we this is it's here I mean it's the whole song give yourself a try is a very serious message it's like come on just get up and it's that it's just very driving and let's be honest if you had a more clean cut sound it just wouldn't. It wouldn't fit. Yeah, I, I, it's difficult because I don't like the guitar sound, but also but you don't I don't know what else you would do. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect for the song. In a way, though, if it's if it's sort of that sort of grating constantly there, and the song is called "Give Yourself a Try," 
it is sort of it's it's almost i mean this this is reading a lot into it but it, <laughs> it is it almost like the representation of those like nagging thoughts that you have yeah like the, the self-doubt and so it's like always there in the background yeah kind of grating yeah i think that definitely because like even when it's not playing the riff he's still like doing suspended notes during certain sections so it's still there yeah so it's not a shock when it comes back in is it is like that kind of waving anxiety it's always slightly there and then the choruses come in and it's full on in your face. So I suppose I suppose you could argue it's slightly juxtaposed. 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 Yeah. What? No? Juxtaposed. Juxtaposed. What? Juxtaposes. Juxtaposes. Juxtaposed? I don't know. You just sound like you were saying it weirdly. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I was saying it weirdly. It is. It goes against the grain of what the work, the song's actually about. But I think that's what makes it a really good album opener. It's it's a no nonsense song, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it it while the lyrics aren't particularly stand out necessarily, um, mm. the song thematically sort of sets everything up. It leads on quite nicely into two time. Which two times an interesting one, and it, it's it's very eighties, but also feels like it could be in the charts now. Like it yeah. feels modern, but eighties at the same time. Two times sounds like a song that they potentially wrote for their last album, with songs like "Love Me" and "Ugh." It's a very simple song as well. There's only two chords in it for pretty much the whole song. Yeah, it's very. It's got. I can imagine if it wasn't quite so glossy. I could so picture it in Stranger Things as like a teen moment. Yeah. It's got that very sing-along 4-3-2-1 one kind of idea in it. Almost, it's almost like Avril Lavigne in that sense. Like, And also his vocal processing, it follows on from the similar mood of Give Yourself a Try. It's quite robotic. It's quite otherworldly. It's like this kind of, it has that, that bubble gum, everything's perfect. Yeah. Like, this is like the little pop world. Everything's ticking along. This is all happy. But it's not. There is definitely that. There's that a Matt, subtext here. There's that Matt Healy undertow. Yeah, because it was interesting. I, I, someone I was talking to about this record said that they preferred their, uh, the 1975's earlier work. And the reason they said that was because they said they felt the first record was more raw and more honest. and Which is funny, really. And I can see why someone might say that. But... Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't actually listened to the first 1975 record, so I can't comment on whether that's true. But... Yeah, he's not a fan. I think... Um, I think... Certainly, the early tracks, like you just said, they're kind of robotic, and and they were the singles, and they were the singles. And I think if you don't take the album as a whole and listen to those songs on their own, I think you can come to that opinion of these yeah. are less, which is what a you bit had. more manufactured, which is completely where I was. It's like this is completely; it feels manufactured pop. Yeah. And then when you listen to the album, you realise that is completely the point. And lying underneath it is this yeah. subtext of... Yeah, like we were saying, when you first initially hear their singles, it's like, oh, this is the vamps for slightly older indie girls yes. and people who like boy bands. But it isn't they're actually almost taking the mick out of that or well they're it's not taking the mick it's an observation on that style and that culture yes which makes it quite i find it weird that there is that culture around them and it makes sense because their first album is definitely more two-dimensional compared to this so they would have picked up a lot of that audience from the first album 
Do you think there's a, uh, having not listened to the first two records, not knowing if there's the same sort of uh, commentary going on within those records, do you think there's a sense from them when making this record that they've looked at what they've done in the past or the audience they've built and are commenting on it from that point of view of this is this is what we were like, this is what we were doing? Yeah, I especially after seeing an interview where Matt Healy says that the whole aesthetic for the second album, yeah. they chose pink and white because that was basically the Instagram filters that their fans were using. I think it was on Tumblr as well, which yeah. is even more sort of of that generation. Yeah. Although, and fun fact, Tumblr has now crashed. Has it? Pretty much. Oh, because oh. Tumblr has, like, because they banned porn on Tumblr... <laughs> This is true. They banned porn on Tumblr and then the <laughs> stock price of Tumblr went crashing down because um, because no one uses it anymore because everyone used it for porn. Didn't know that. Yeah. Genuinely didn't. I might be... I mean, I'd never used Tumblr in my life, so I didn't know, but... I didn't even know you could... Like, I know that Reddit's a... Uh a safe haven for all things dark and naughty. Yeah. So apparently, apparently a, this is a good tangent. Um, Tumblr was bought. I can't remember who bought Tumblr. I feel like it may have been Yahoo or someone like that bought Tumblr. I mean, anything's going to fail in their hands. Someone bought Tumblr and then basically sold it and made a loss because of this porn ban. That sent the prices crashing down. Oh, they thought they were doing it to like clean up Tumblr's image, and actually, it's that's all the people wanted. It, that's what they wanted. They wanted the porn. Anyway, so do you think that's where they're coming from in that terms of that? There must be. I think this is more of a global dissection on their fan base, which I mean makes sense because they are more globalized now, but. They are definitely observers with their art. They they seem very on the pulse of what their fans like, what they do. I mean, Matt said in plenty of interviews, like he is constantly borrowing and stealing ideas from like Brian Eno, or um, I think there was a I might be getting this wrong, but I think they they borrowed the music video idea of "Give Yourself a Try" from Paul's head or something. And so, like, they're constantly, literally, carbon carbon copying ideas. Sure. So they're obviously aware and of reflecting what's going on around them. I'm not quite sure how they're doing it with this album. Because it kind of... It kind of like, two-time... It feels like a lot of their, what their audience kind of wanted them to make. I don't know if that's an insult to their audience or not. I don't know. Do you think they're flowing with the line of offending their audience? Well, see, see, this is where I was maybe going with it, but in, but then there's part of me, and this this might offend a 1975 fan. <laughs> but there's there's part of me that wonders, like, do the 19, do the sort of um, hardcore. Uh, standard who are posting on Tumblr, Instagram about the 90s. Do they get that subtext? Yeah. Are they getting that, or are they just hearing the the poppiness of Two Time? Maybe 1975 don't actually care. Maybe this is just a genius business strategy because you you think about it, their their look, their image, like they're fairly attractive chaps. Yeah. Like. They've got the boy. They've got the boy band look. Yeah, that's that audience covered. They've got the imagery down, and especially now they've got that slightly more abstract artwork. Well, especially the cover. Yeah, they're very yeah. socials. Pinterest, like I bet there's a lot of 1975 Pinterest boards. Oh yeah, and yeah. inspiration. I would imagine so. Yeah. yeah, so they've got that market down. But they're also doing a lot more of this artsy stuff and this kind of layered stuff that attracts people more like your more in-depth thinkers and your more artsy types like us. Yeah. That are actually <laughs> finding it interesting. But maybe there isn't... I mean, it's 
controversial, but maybe Matt Healy is just really smart about making it seem like he is being really clever with it. But a matter of fact, he's just trying to make it seem like it as a marketing move so that I mean, he's maybe. getting an extra audience. Because I'm not sure if I was... I mean, I, I definitely wasn't aware. I, I think you told me in the past. Yeah. But I sort of... I just was like, eh. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think I was really ever aware of it, um, of the way they were approaching this. But then you look at all the... In preparation of this podcast, I read so many reviews of the album. Mm. And you have places like Pitchfork who are sort of renowned for being very snoozy about music. Yeah. And they gave it, I think it was an 8.5 on Pitchfork. Which is high. Which Pitchfork is, high is like Pitchfork. the Rotten Tomatoes of films. And they they were basically singing its praises and saying how much of a clever record it was. Mm. Um, so it certainly must be working within the sort of even the more sort of um, alternative sections of the music community. Yeah. Um, which is, surprised me. Is it still a clever record if it is literally just genius marketing? Because, like, you could argue it even with... Um, oh, who's the artist that does the Crystal Skull and stuff? Damien Hurst. Yes. You could argue that a lot of his art is not necessarily creative genius and it's actually more marketing genius but does that still it's still genius isn't it so like even if the 1975 brief inquiry is actually it might just be an absolutely genius modern music marketing ploy but then i think even in doing that that makes a genius album yeah because you're it's still the album right so it's still what they're doing with the album is it all feeds into each other I think. It's, in a way it's no different to the sex pistols because they were a major label band that were manufactured they're basically a boy band yeah but a punk band and they've made a whole movement around it maybe that's that is what the 1975 are going for i mean i think in a way if you want to get into sort of um the the like punk as an idea um we talked about idols the other day who yeah i think are um i have some i mean that track you played me the other day the idols track is just uh the the one about um june june yeah. is miscarriage an unbelievably impressive track yeah um at, like and you want to talk about a performance being raw and honest, that is a performance that is just ridiculously raw yeah, that's, and that's a one almost take. brings you to tears yeah. sort of thing. Um, but in terms of when you see, when I see idols performing on television or live, there, there's, there's part of me that looks at the whole punk routine of running around and throwing things around as a bit old hat now you know what i mean it's a bit sort of yeah um you know we there's part of me that wants to go well we did that like years yeah. ago yeah it's like the old fight scenes of greek plays it's like at the time i bet that was really cool and felt really like in like yeah, you're dangerous. fighting with the audience you know I mean? almost yeah now it's just a bit like it's something that you do in a panto yeah, because I think punk, when it first originated, it felt dangerous. People were sort of scared of punk, right? Like, yeah. there was all this sort of hysteria around punk. And now, because we're therapy. all used to it, now we're all used to it, it's just, it's it, we can see through it as a just another performance, Well, right? going to a punk gig is almost like... Some people like to go to discos and dance yes. clubs. And now... and Some, some people, people go to yoga... Some people go to punk gigs. Yeah. That's how they release their anger to the world. Yeah. They'll go to a punk gig. That's what it's almost become part of that idea of just like just release and So in a way, freedom. you know, and punk was all about subverting the system, um, you know, doing your own thing and, and sort of challenging the existing structures, right? Yeah. And so in a way, could you argue? That the 1975 are more punk than 
uh, a modern punk band because they are existing within this pop framework and subverting it at the same time. In the XFM interview, Matt Healy said, there is a little hint at punk music in the sense that you can't be punk in punk anymore. It has to be something that isn't a punk genre and is more relative. It's got to be a slant at a modern genre. And that's what two time, two time, two time is. It's a punk song that sounds like a bubblegum pop song. And that's what makes it punk. And then you move on from two time, two time, two time into how to draw, how to draw, which is so different. Oh, it's beautiful. It's such a well put together piece of music. But it's like, it's not what you would expect that out of a 1975. After what record. you've done, give yourself a try two time. The two biggest kind of pop bangers on the record. Yeah. And then you go into probably the least, like, modern... Or, like, popular music, sorry. It's the least popular music song. It, you would not hear that in the chart. It, would, it wouldn't feel out of place on a Tom York record. No, 100%. I mean, it sounds like the... I want to say it's 21 Steps on In Rainbows. Yeah. It's a little bit similar yeah, to yeah. that. It's, that sort of same drum pattern kind of going on. Yeah, that glitchy... Yeah. A digital reflection, but also on feeling it. slightly analog as well. Yeah, digital reflection on an analog society. Ooh, and there you yeah. go. That's the name of my next EP. <laughs> <laughs> but it does sort of um, come back to again reading a lot of the reviews. A lot of them draw comparisons to OK Computer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of them say, is this OK Computer for the, a new generation? Yeah. And like you said, the man who married a robot. It's basically fitter, happier. Yeah. It's in the same place in the record. Is that? You imagine it being the end of, Yeah. And, and it also, it does a similar job to uh, what Fitter Happier does on OK Computer is it sort of sets up the second half of the record as being slightly different to the first. I think yeah. in OK Computer, um, there's quite a lot of... It feels quite rock-heavy at the start. You have sort of Paranoid Android and um, and then the second half is is kind of slower and a bit more introspective. You have tracks like Karma Police in the second half yeah. of OK Computer. And in a way... Um, you know, 1975, not a rock band, uh, as Matt Healy is very keen to point out that they are not a they rock band. They are not a rock band. Um, but in a similar way to on this album, on Brief Inquiry, you have a lot of sort of uh, pop, sort of driven songs. Um, and then the second half kind of slows down, gets a bit more... Yeah. It was almost like a the second half is an observation on the first half in a way. It's setting a scene in the first half. Same with the Radiohead album. And then it's almost it's not necessarily breaking it down, but it's just kind of giving you a moment to reflect on it and is actually is the how many one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You've got seven tracks before one, two, three, four, five. Six songs after. I was kind of hoping it would be right in the middle, but it's not quite. No, but, but it's fairly spot on. Yeah, you can it imagine just, it being end of side one. I don't yeah. know how they've actually arranged it on the. A vinyl. small part of me wanted to read into whether each song on each half would then reflect on the one right. that is was in its corresponding, but it it obviously doesn't. <laughs> I mean, something that was interesting is actually the be my mistake was being it wasn't it was still being written in the studio while give yourself a try was released as a single right so uh, he must have had a good idea of like how the album was going to work even though they hadn't finished the songs that's quite like it then makes me it did make me question like was it luck that the album works quite so well to a certain extent or do you think it was planned all along for it to be this fluid if you watch matt healy talk he's pretty switched on (laughs) he gives the impression that it was all planned out yeah but then again 
as we were talking about earlier, you know, there is the element of is this just fantastic marketing? You know, is is mm. is? And I'm not I'm not saying Matt Healy's lying. No, I'm not going that far. He might be lying to himself. But is there an element of, you know, and I think there is with any sort of art. There's always an element of sort of luck, you know, stuff coming together in a certain way um, that you may not have expected or... I mean, this... this yeah. I mean, there is a quote from Matt Healy where he was he was planning for this to be the last record for a while. And there, mm. was, there was also supposed to be an EP that then turned into this this album. It sort of got moulded into one. Mm. Um, and for a while it was called Music for Cars as well. So it's definitely... This, yeah. this has definitely gone through a process of... Um, of change. And so, it, it, you know, there might be that element of luck that, you know, it may not have been as completely rigorously thought out as as maybe the album suggests but um i think that's true of anything yeah i mean something i feel like everyone has missed out on opportunity on who have interviewed them with anything to do with this album is every interview is a brief inquiry into a brief inquiry of online relationships right i mean that's quite yeah that was something that i quite liked the, I thought I thought about that while I was just sat on <laughs> sat on the tube listening to an interview. I was like, "Oh, this interview is a like a brief inquiry about <laughs> a brief inquiry into online relationships." I mean, if if Matt Healy would like to uh, join us, yeah, on the show, then he is quite welcome. I'll I'll take that. Yeah, I yeah I don't know how I'd approach Matt Matt Healy as a person. I think you and Matt Healy in a room together. Would be like, um, you know, those what those um, part you're like those particles that can't ever meet because <laughs> they're like the same, fair, but like you're like two ends, you're like the same end of a magnet, yes, it's always going to repel, right? Yeah, because you're you, I think you think in a similar way, yeah. So you two having a discussion would be just like... Yeah, I don't know if I could... I think I'm a little bit too controlling to probably work on a project with Matt Healy in the same way that Matt Healy is. I, I do feel like everyone in the 1975 just goes, all right, Matt's got an idea, we'll go with this. I know he works with the drummer a lot, but I think I remember him even saying in an interview, he was like, everyone that is part of his team... They're like his hands that he's developed a relationship over and now he just has multiple hands. So it's like, I think even he's aware that he just gets the people around him to just... How do you think the rest of the band feel about that? I think you're asking the wrong sort of person that yeah. question because I probably <laughs> do the same thing. Um, I, su I suppose it depends if... If you like what he does, which I'm sure they do, and how he approaches it, because and it in, makes them a lot of money. It does make them a lot of money, but it's like I mean, you've made a music video for a project that I do with yes. friends. Did you feel used? Did I feel used? No, but then I guess I think. See, I think where you're quite good is, I think, because I think you are quite, I don't know if controlling is the right word. No, I'm, I'm persuasive. But I think you have a vision of things. Yeah. And I think similarly, Matt Healy has a, has a very certain vision about where he's going with something. Yeah. But I think you're also quite good at um, knowing when someone maybe has a set of skills that you ha haven't necessarily got in the same way. Yeah, I think that's something that Matt Healy... I think that's where I relate to Matt. He's got the skill of surrounding himself with the right people. Yeah. And, I mean, that's probably... That's probably why the 1975 
I mean, it probably helps having quite successful parents and being part of the industry from a young age, but he's definitely been able to get a little group of directors and produce... I mean, actually, they produce all their own stuff, but they've got their group of directors yeah. and the band themselves. They're all on the same page, similar to how we have become on the yeah, same page. Yeah, he was page talking about projects. the guy who he makes visual, uh, the visual stuff with. Yes. And... I can't remember his name off the top of my head now. Well, he's basically another member of the band yeah. at this point. And and he he was saying that they never do more than one or two drafts of some of a visual yeah. idea, not because they are necessarily amazing at doing it, but because they know exactly what each other expect from it. Expects from each other. Um and they have the same, they're aligned on the same vision. I mean, it was something that, that was always told to me at film school about being a director. It's, it's, you don't have to have all the answers being a director. Yeah, you know, people think of directors, they think of people like Quentin Tarantino or Chris Nolan. They have, you know, and they have this singular vision, they know exactly where they're going with it. And, and that's true to an extent. They, you definitely have to know what you want from something, but yeah. you surround yourself with people who can do things that you can't you know i can't light a scene as well as um uh, you know james westlake can who i'll get to do all my yeah stuff so yeah i i think actually directors quite often and and people like your matt healy's kurt cobain's jimmy hendrix they always come across as very skillful in lots of things very controlling very like they're the big one and all, like, it's their vision. But actually, I think they're quite often the most flexible people in yeah. the room because they're basically, I can, from somebody that I I feel like I think in a similar way is you have a vision and then you go, all right, who do I, who, do, who can I bend a little bit to go my way or how can I bend it a little bit to make it fit their ideas? And then that way you can get... I think that's how Matt's managed to get such a core team that does such high-quality stuff. And, I mean, it was the same for Nirvana. It was like everything felt the same because everything's kind of been moulded around the people to make them as interested rather than just being like, this is what it is, here's a load of money, I don't care if you're interested or not, just make it. Yeah. Everything that seems to come out of the 1975, everybody in it seems to care. They're buying into yeah. the vision that is in yeah. his head. So closing thoughts. Any closing thoughts on this album? Good luck topping this is like something that I like I don't I I'm really excited to hear the next album. Just because they've there isn't anything I would change about this album really. It's for like for the nineteen seventy five, it is such a and it's a pinpoint in culture as well. Like, this album is going down on a lot of best albums of the decade lists and such. Like, it's definitely been a big influence to the kind of indie scene. Yeah, I think um, for me, as someone who's not necessarily a fan, having listened to it for the first time, I'm sort of in the same uh, space as you about it, really. I... I I don't think I would change any of the songs on this album, even the ones that I don't particularly get on with, even ones yeah. I don't particularly like. I can see why they're there. I can see their purpose within the album. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting going into the next one. And, it, and, it, and also the next one, you know, you listen to the two singles they've released, People, which is a very, well, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a heavy sort of rock song. And then... Um, is it Frail State of Mind is the other track? Yeah. And that's, again, completely different. Completely different to the song that they've already released. It's it, it's proof that they're not slowing down, that their creativity hasn't run dry after putting out a bit of a masterpiece, really. Like, it's not often you we're get going, an album. We're going with masterpiece. A little bit of a masterpiece. <laughs> it's not often you get an album this well thought out in mainstream culture 
Yes, I think that's what I, I I appreciate about it so much is that they're definitely working within a very mainstream mm. uh, framework. They're putting out hits. And, you know, and it, like we said earlier, maybe it goes over the heads of, you know, some or most of their fan base without wanting to sound like I'm criticising their fan base at all. But maybe <laughs> yeah. it does. Maybe it goes over their head. Maybe it goes over some people's heads. But ultimately... They've created a record that it's, subverts mm. what you would expect from um, what I perceived. And I think probably what a lot of people who haven't really Given, delved into yeah. their back catalogue, a lot of people perceived them as, you know, like we said, like a sort of boy bandy sort of uh, yeah. pop outfit. yeah. And I think they've actually... I've, I give them a lot of credit. I almost feel like the 1975 have done something that they didn't want to do, but they already knew what they wanted and they knew that this would be the best way of doing it. So they've made pop tracks that's got them into the centre of attention, has got them the backing and money of fairly large labels so that they can then put in the budget to make these outlandish music videos, their amazing live performance, which is just so visually pleasing. They couldn't have done that if they went the kind of... If they went in straight away artsy, yeah. I don't think they would have ever have been able to do the things that they did on this album. And on that note... Yeah, on that note... We shall end it there. Um, thank you very much for joining us for the first ever... Yeah. Um, episode of Getting Pretentious. Getting Pretentious. Um, if you like what you hear, then please do subscribe to us and follow us on our social media channels. You can find a link to those in the description of this podcast. And uh, join us next time when we will be talking about George Taylor Swift's 1989. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye.